It's Thursday, July 30th, episode 29 of the Sports Wagon Podcast begins now. How are, how are you doing, everybody? It's your man, Uncle Dub, coming back at you once again. Hit me up on Twitter at It's Uncle Dub, I T S U N C L E underscore D U B. Hmm, that was very melodic. <laughs> um, where do I start? Um, first of all, sports is back. Um, a lot of things have happened um, on and off the field. Um, so baseball has begun um, their 60-game schedule. But in that time, in the short time that the schedule has started, we've seen some issues with outbreaks. Um, the Miami Marlins a couple days ago, um, they had a team outbreak. They are currently, um, their games have been suspended through Sunday. They were supposed to start a series with the Orioles Monday, but uh, as a 1030 Monday morning, they um, there's a large team outbreak and the outbreak has continued. So they will not be playing baseball for a little for a, a little while here. So um, we're seeing the effects of coronavirus still, although we're playing the game and uh, the NFL. We're seeing a number of players who are returning positive. Uh, it's a small percentage. But let's think about this as contact increases. The question I have is what impact will that have on camps? What impact will that have on the preseason and season in general? Because, you know, as right now, the season is moving forward. But we also have to consider that if you look at any of the COVID metrics, if you look at the maps that are out there um, right now, the southern United States uh, from South Carolina over to Texas is bright red. They are all in active uh, COVID mode. Um, Arizona is active. Um, and the rest of the country, the Midwest, the Mid-Atlantic, uh, for the most part, are orange, which means uh, for some maps, that means that they are uh, trending upward. Green on, on the one of the maps that I consult shows that the uh, the COVID situation is contained. Um, so pr prior to us thinking about when when sports is going to start again, um, when the conversations began, California, especially Governor Gavin Newsom talked about this idea of, you know, he didn't feel that there would be football games played in the state of California. Um, I kind of feel like Governor Newsom's an oracle in that way because, you know, knowing what we know now, we're playing baseball without fans. We are playing MLS right now, currently in a bubble. We're playing WNBA in a bubble. We're playing NBA in a bubble. So all these things are happening and, um, and trying to keep, um, coronavirus at, uh, at, at a minimum. Um, also an MLB, which I, forgot um the phillies so this is news as of today there was an outbreak at uh, citizens bank park of some personnel with the philadelphia phillies so as of right now if i recall correctly i'm trying to find a report i believe citizens bank park has been shut down if i recall correctly i'll have to check that out but that's the last thing i did remember seeing that this afternoon um right so phillies have two positive um, versus um, going into a game versus going to a series versus the Blue Jays. So they're halting uh, activity at the stadium after positive tests. So again, you know, we're great. We're, we're grateful that some sports are happening. I, for one, 
have been very skeptical about a lot of this moving forward. I mean, look, I want sports to happen. I think I want sports to happen like as much as anyone else. Um, I saw a tweet the other day um, where I believe it's a gentleman who I believe he's on the NFL network or one of those channels. And he essentially tweeted out something to the effect that, you know, if you are, you're a negative person, if you don't want sports to happen because of coronavirus or you or no, you want coronavirus to stop sports. And I responded kind of in a indirect way to say, you know, and pardon my French because I <laughs> really work hard not to curse on this podcast. But I basically said, if you want coronavirus to affect people's lives, if you want coronavirus to affect athletes lives, these are people who make a living playing sports, you're an asshole. Nobody, at least anyone with a conscience, anyone with any feeling, anyone with a heart, I don't think anyone wants anyone to get this virus. I am of the mindset and have always been of the mindset that this virus has stopped sports. It has greatly disrupted our lives, but my issue here is I take more of an umbrage to that statement because I am more realistic. I, you know, I, I do this for a living. I, you know, look at public health trends. I look at public health. I look at uh, microbiology and I basically am of the mindset that this virus will have more an effect, more of an effect on the other end. In other words, coronavirus will potentially stop sports for good reasons. In other words, you don't you don't want people to get infected. So that's how I feel about that. But I mean, I, I guess the idea is that some people just like to be provocative and like to say things that are, you know, they, they want to get the likes and the retweets. And, um, you know, I when you see sometimes when I see things like that, I, I have to respond because it just it, it's senseless. In other words, to think like that, you're just being senseless. Um, so kind of moving on, the uh, NBA regular season starts tonight. So that'll be fun to see how all that's going to play out. Um, so there's been a lot of talk about how the NBA season is going to go down. Um, right now, um, we won't know until a few games in how this is going to go down, but it's going to be fun to watch. And I'm hoping I can catch a couple games here and there to kind of get back into the swing of you know, what's going on with, with the NBA. Um, so the other things here, college football. So there've been a number of announcements in college football over the last few days. So this is the week that, um, the ACC and the SEC were going to make their announcements. So as we know, um, a number of conferences have made their announcements. Uh, the PAC 12, as I mentioned before, has gone, uh, a voted for a 10 game non-conference season, um, that season will start on, I think I have them as, I think I put the wrong date here. Anyway, um, the Colonial Athletic Association. So one of the notable members is James Madison. So they are a, uh, FCS champion. Um, and so they were kind of left out in the lurch because the CAA decided to initially let, other schools, their member schools decide they wouldn't have a season. They then canceled um, the season. But let's look at the ACC. The ACC is going with an 11 game schedule, 10 ACC games, one non conference game. 
their season will start September 12th. The scheduling matrix is crazy. I looked at it and I was specifically looking at Virginia, their schedule. Um, I looked at Wake's schedule. Um, whew, it's going to be a grind uh, for every team. Um, the ACC is suspending conference. Uh, they're suspending division play this year. So there'll be no divisions. So all of the ACC members will play Notre Dame included, which the way that it should be. I am so sick of Notre Dame getting the, well, we get to be full members in other sports, but in football, we get to do what we want. I hate that. If I were the ACC commissioner, I'm sorry. I would just say either fully participate or don't participate. I know that sounds crazy. You know, Notre Dame's a brand. They're their own thing. They, um, they make them, they make a lot of money, but I just don't think it sends a good message that they get to do what they want in football and everybody else, you know, in every other sport there together. I, I think that's crazy, but I, I think it's going to be fun to watch them participate this year. Right now, most odds are going to be Notre Dame and Clemson in the, in the, in the ACC championship, because the way this is going to work is everyone's going to play. It's going to be, open play everybody's going to play everyone except for three teams if i recall yeah everyone so everyone gets to play everyone except for three teams um and then the top two teams based on winning percentage conference games winning percentage will play an acc championship and then of course we we'll find out what happens after that i mean by the time we get the bowl season will there be bowl season because again like i said these COVID numbers are they're you know they're turning the corner they're not getting better um then we go into flu season i mean who knows what's going to happen in september let alone what's going to happen in december and i know most of us will be happy to see december because this year has been hot trash um the sec today they announced a 10 game only a 10 game conference only schedule that will start on September 26th. So the SEC made their announcement today. They're going to push their season back to the end of September. And the Big 12 will probably um, follow suit. Her, haven't heard anything for the Big 12, but more than likely they will make their decision probably um, and, and probably in the next 24 hours. Um, so <laughs> it's funny. I wrote a note here that uh, Notre Dame head football coach Brian Kelly uh, on, uh, I believe he's on a radio show, basically said, we're going to play football. And initially when I heard, heard his, you know, his response to a question about, you know, will they play? And, you know, you know, typical coach response that, you know, well, you know, our players are doing the right thing and we're working hard and we're focused on having a season. Okay. That's all well and good. But I mean, there are a lot of people doing the right thing in these times and, even when you do the right thing, it doesn't necessarily always get you to where you got to go. So I applaud Brian Kelly for, you know, again, being very, um, uh, you know, having that foresight to say we're going to play. And, you know, he was right or he has some inside information. I don't know. Um, I guess it's just the power of positive thinking. But again, there's so much uncertainty right now. You hope that these players can play and you hope they can stay safe. And that's what we want to do. Um, Caleb Farley, a cornerback from Virginia Tech, has opted out 
of this season for so he will not be playing for the Hokies uh, this season. So he's opting out to prepare for the NFL draft and he uh, is going to be a high draft pick. I mean, the guy uh, can straight up uh, ball. So um, all the best to him as he finishes up uh, his um, you know, has his season um, cut short by prepping for the NFL. Um, but uh, all the best to him. And like I said, that's, you know, for him, that's probably the best decision um, knowing, you know, what's, what's coming and what's ahead. Um, so I wanted to kind of talk about, you know, a couple other things today, um, briefly, um, the, the WNBA. So they, their season started this past Saturday. So they're, as I mentioned, they're playing in the bubble as well. And, uh, some other things, um, the Washington post did a article this past weekend on head coach Dabble Sweeney of Clemson. So I've, mentioned him on a couple of occasions uh, on this podcast and uh, you know, when, you know, when there were the killings, uh, the killing of George Floyd uh, sparked uh, protests across America. And, you know, we saw the resurgence of, you know, black lives matter. Um, you know, a lot of coaches, you know, put themselves out there and said very specifically that black lives do matter. And I applaud those coaches. I mentioned some of those on the previous show. And I also mentioned that, you know, Dabble Sweeney has had uh, an interesting time with his positions, um, especially those on, you know, folks who um, don't, um, you know, you know the, the anthem, the flag. Um, but yet, you know, he has had a very complicated um, relationship in, in, in such a way that um, his feelings about what people think in the wake of all the things that have been happening in our country, you know, he tends to think of another, think of it in another way. And he's had some, some other controversies come up uh, associated with his program, but the Washington post uh, did an article on uh, him and I'm actually finishing reading it. So I want to kind of speak more on that um, probably on another show, probably the next episode, I'll kind of, break that down and talk about that a little bit more, but, um, kind of just to say that I just feel like, you know, a lot of these coaches took the time to make that statement and to make further statements and to speak with their teams and other coaches kind of had controversial moments that led to very uncomfortable conversations. Um, and then later as we got more further down the road, post, um, protests, and we saw uh, Coach K from Duke make a statement, which, you know, to me, good statement, very emphatic statement, kind of late. But, I mean, what are you going to do? Um, you know, Coach K is very respected. Um, I don't know why it took him so long to say what he said, but what he said was definitive. Um, but then um, – as I think I mentioned on the previous episode, Leonard Hamilton, who's the head coach of Florida State, head uh, head coach of basketball at Florida State, he um, you know was a little delayed in his response, and um, you know he kind of got a little criticism about that. And then I thought, well, you kind of have to look at where he is. Um, you know, he's at Florida State, he's in Florida. You know, do the math. Um, and being a black head coach, I'm sure that was probably kind of difficult to kind of uh, weigh those things out, you know, kind of say what's on his heart, what he felt, but then being in a 
position where the the climate, the political climate, um, where you know, well, of course, the political climate across the United States is very, um, very thick, for lack of a better way to put it. That you know, many people still feel like if you say Black Lives Matter, then you are for rioting and terrorism, and that's not what it's about, not even close. Um, then there are people who will take Black Lives Matter and twist it into something else to counter Black Lives Matter. And, you know, we've said it before. We say it in fact, we say it emphatically that, you know, we cannot truly say that all lives matter until Black Lives Matter. Very simple. That's all we're trying to say. And for those who think that Black Lives Matter is a terrorist organization. I suggest you do your homework. I suggest you try to turn off the media outlets that want to try to twist the movement that all we're asking for is equality. All we're asking for is not to get killed by the police. That's all we want. You know, I applaud all the things that have happened, but, um, to paraphrase Malcolm X, he essentially said, you know, the oppressor will give you a little bit of this, and a little bit of that, but won't fully give you what you ask for. And that's kind of what's happening here. But um, I want to kind of take a break and then I'll kind of come back and talk about a little bit about the WNBA um, specifically. Um, this kind of came up a few weeks ago, one of their uh, team uh, minority owners um, had some issues with Black Lives Matter. And then, of course, there was an uh, incident, quote unquote, uh, in one of the games uh, opening up on Saturday. And then briefly talk about some issues that come up with Iowa, University of Iowa football. All right, back from the break here. So um, the WNBA. So this past weekend, as I mentioned, WNBA started their season on Saturday. And during the New York Liberty Seattle Storm game, the players left court during the national anthem. So, again, in the spirit of solidarity for Black Lives Matter, um, the players are also wearing Breonna Taylor's name on their jerseys. And as you know, with the narratives that have been developed um, from a number of, you know, basically conservative media, uh, you know, just conservatives in general, um, it was turned into, at least on, from what I saw from conservative Twitter, it was turned into, you know, they hate the country and I'm not supporting the WNBA and blah, 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 blah. So even before these players took the court, the WNBA and the players talked about supporting Black Lives Matter. So putting Black Lives Matter on the on the court and Senator Kelly Leffler, who is a Republican from Georgia, who is also a co-owner of the Atlanta Dream franchise, uh, wrote a letter. So this was earlier in the month to uh, the WNBA commissioner, uh, Kathy Engelbert, and she expressed that she was not pleased and objected to Black Lives Matter um, being promoted by the league. Um, so, um, she wanted teams to add American flags to her Jersey, but you know, her, 
her explanation was very simple that she thought that, well, number one, you know, Black Lives Matter, as I mentioned in the first segment, terrorist organization, they don't, um, you know, they don't promote American values. Um, you know, um, you know, she made the delineation that yes, racism is wrong. There should not be racism in America, but then she kind of feels like, well, but if we say Black Lives Matter, it goes to the organization. The organization is anti-police. So she's kind of trying to balance out between um, saying the right thing, but also holding to these conservative talking points about Black Lives Matter. So, again, I'm not going to get into all the, the political pieces of it. Um, you hopefully understand the, 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 the all the issues associated with you know, the narratives that are that come along with Black Lives Matter and, you know, what Black Lives Matter really means and really stands for, because, you know, you know, the, the narrative is, you know, if you say defund the police, it ter- gets turned into abolishing the police. And, you know, again, anyone with half a brain, you want to live in a society of law and order. What we want, if you say Black Lives Matter, is sure, I want the police. I just don't want them to kill me. Okay, there is the difference. Okay, Um, but then um, there was a lot of backlash. Um, So there are a lot of people who uh, felt that, you know, Kelly Leffler should be bought out. Um, You know, frankly, um, I, I feel like, you know, if this season were going forward and if they were playing at home, um, the city and their fans should really, you know, be behind the players. And I believe they would be. And I really would think the fans would really make enough noise to ensure that either, you know, she kind of backs away from her stance. Although I feel like, you know, in uh, an interview, she kind of doubled down a little bit by saying she thought that the WNBA support for Black Lives Matter would drive some fans away. And it might. But that, I think, is more telling of the fans. If there are fans who come to a WNBA game and are offended by Black Lives Matter or back to my original point, if they believe in these narratives about Black Lives Matter, then that's their fans problem. And, I, and it says a lot about Senator Leffler that she can try to she's making this attempt to say the right thing, but also, oh, but at the same time, they want to do all these bad things. You can't have it both ways. You either can sit down, have a conversation and try to understand the, you know, kind of the whole, for lack of a better term, crux of the biscuit, if you will, about what Black Lives Matter stands for, what we really want and what it really means. Instead of going towards, you know, you know, for her side, the conservative media, the conservative talking points, the they want to destroy America when the, the bigger problem here is America is being destroyed or is being torn asunder or we're seeing people come together more and saying that we're rejecting the the anthem and we're rejecting not we're saying that we're walking out on the anthem, not because it is America, not because the flag stands for something bad. It's what is happening out there, that people are dying and they don't have to die, that 
America has not truly lived up to its promise. That's the idea that Breonna Taylor's killers are still walking free, that they have not been arrested. Although it was announced that the the FBI was beginning an investigation. That's good news, but I am not going to be terribly surprised if they were to come back and say, we find nothing wrong. But let us hope that the FBI will find enough to feel that they can convict her killers at the federal level. So again, you know, there's so many people out here who would rather say, who say one thing, well, I think racism is bad, but oh my gosh, these people, they're doing all these terrible things to get their point across. They're not doing terrible things. You know, uh, Dr. King said the riot is the language of the unheard. And it's not so much that people, you know, you got people out here who want to go out here and destroy stuff, but you have people who are out here peacefully protesting. And we, and, and I saw so many pictures of people peacefully protesting and they're getting their heads knocked in for what, why, if they're destroying property, okay, they need to go to jail. But if somebody is standing arm to arm, if they're sitting down, why are they being assaulted by police? That is not right. That is totally wrong. And that goes against, you know, that goes against, you know, basically human rights, essentially. Um, um, so this is probably just a, in brief here. Um, Iowa football, University of Iowa. So um, over the last few months, maybe a year or two, um, there have been a number of Iowa football players, black Iowa football players. Um, many of them in, in the NFL now have been speaking out against um, the program, talking about how the program was not very hospitable to black players. Um, so uh, the university, being aware of these issues, um, hired a law firm to do a thorough review of the program. Uh, They did a personnel review and the report came back today. Um, The findings were not surprising. So there was an article written about this in ESPN um, where, you know, a number of players said that, you know, they were, you know, forced to, you know, their, their punishments were different than that of white players, that they did not feel that they could be themselves, you know, that they thought, you know, so they had some coaches told them the Iowa way meant that you talked white, that you acted white, that, you know, they didn't feel like they could be their full selves. And uh, head coach, Kurt Ferentz, who's been a uh, head coach since 1999, um, you know, he uh, was made aware of some of these things. Uh, he shared some of these things with his staff, but it seems as if things did not get any better. Um, there were a number of incidents that occur, so I'll have to kind of uh, come back and kind of read through the report and and share some of that information with you. But the report was released today. Um, there was a press conference that I found out about. It happened at two o'clock. I found out about it at three thirty, so I missed the press conference. So I'll, hopefully, I'll take get a chance to listen to the press conference and kind of uh, shed some light on this situation. But the, the, the law firm basically found that, yes, there were some things happening in the program that, again, that substantiated what the players were saying. Um, so um, 
at first glance, um, the athletic director at the university is saying that, you know, now this is the time for um, some review and to make some changes to make the program more welcoming and more hospitable to black players. But again, you know, in this time where, you know, we're, it just seems like we're just in this, in this grind right now that, you know, with all this happening politically, socially, and with this virus, um, people need something and having sports come back is great, but for how long? And then the idea here is there are still things happening because when you take away the sports and when you start to look at what's happening socially, there's so many things happening socially that we've been dealing with for months now. And it's bringing out more and more weaknesses in our society, things that we knew were always there. But it feels like the weaknesses, at least for myself, being a middle aged guy, the weaknesses seem to just be getting you know, worse and worse. Like it's just it, it, it's sad in a way because. These are things that, you know, I've heard about, you know, thinking about you know, having parents who grew up during the civil rights era and not to say that, you know, oh, I'm going to be in my mid 40s and race is never going to be a problem. Race is always going to be a problem in the United States. But you would think that things would get a little bit better and they kind of have, but they kind of haven't. So all that to say that, you know, wherever we are, from a sporting standpoint, there's always going to be things that are going to be much larger than sport. And when you see programs like Iowa, which is a fairly successful Big Ten program, when you see programs like Clemson, which has you know won you know national championships in the last few years, um, there's always another story. And it pains me to think about these young men going to college and they're going to college to, you know, that talent, that sporting talent is getting giving them an opportunity to get an education to potentially go play professional football, go play at the next level, go play on Sundays. But you have to wonder about their psyche. You know, if they had to deal with this idea of, you know, you can't you you have to com- compose yourself in a certain way in order to get through a season, to get through a year. You know, I, I just could not imagine doing that or I just couldn't imagine having to feel that way. But now that these things are out in the open, um, it is my hope that University of Iowa and head coach Kurt Ferentz will, you know, try to make amends and make things better for the guys who will come through those doors in their um, in their football complex. Because, you know, these are the sorts of things that create opportunities in other places. So, you know, if this didn't come to light, if this problem continued to exacerbate you know, become worse, you know, what effect would that have on recruiting? You know, if, you know, with that word get out and nothing happened, would that 
affect recruiting negatively? I would say it would. Um, luckily for them that there was enough of former players who were talking and they, um, and, and they, you know, spoke their truth. They, you know, talked to the investigators from this law firm and now the word is out. So now the ball is in the court of the university. University president was very disappointed and he said that, you know, some changes will be made. So from the top down, the university is aware of these issues and they're going to try to make it right. And I applaud the University of Iowa. I am hoping that they will make it right because, you know, in the light of all the things that are happening, you know, we're going to see a lot of these players make decisions. You know, well, football's different because, you know, you just can't go from high school to NFL. That, <laughs> oh boy, that would be bad. But we're seeing these players will probably start to shift. So if you you see that there are schools that um, there are issues like this or when players start to recognize that, well, I'm walking into this university, but the surrounding community isn't supporting me or they don't seem that they're sympathetic to my my plight, sympathetic to the trials in my life, then I should go somewhere where there are people who are more sympathetic to my trials. I should go somewhere where people will respect me and I can be my full self. So again, um, I would like to read the report and kind of give you a little bit more information and kind of tell the story a little bit more fully, but I want to put that out there um, as something that happened today. Um, one last thing before I go, um, Rutgers football, uh, 15 players from their program uh, have as of, Yesterday, I don't know the current number are positive with COVID. So again, on campus party. So whatever we learn from this, don't go to parties. Okay, don't go to parties. Wear your mask. Wash your hands. Okay, masks work. So don't fall into that narrative of don't wear your mask because guess what? It, I, I would rather you wear your mask than find out the hard way that the mask works for you. Okay. With that, I appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. So um, on my page, my anchor page, I have a, um, a voicemail set up. So if you have questions, comments, please do so. Hit me up on Twitter as well. It's Uncle Dub, I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. Uh, until next time, which I hope, as always, I keep saying, I hope it won't be too long from now. And I, I think it's been... Um, hasn't been too long since, uh, episode 20, 29. So, um, episode 30, hopefully we'll kind of touch on some more, um, items with, um, you know, kind of what's going on off the field, Dabble Sweeney, Iowa football. Oh yes. One last thing. One, this is the absolute last thing. I finally, yes, I know you're going to laugh. I'm late. I finally finished the Jordan documentary. Yes. Outstanding. Um, I thoroughly enjoy sports documentaries. The 30 for 30 series from, from ESPN is one of my favorites. Um, I mentioned to you a few episodes ago about Black Magic, that um, uh, HBCU basketball uh, documentary is one of my favorites. Um, wow. What can I say? Um, it's cool to see the behind the scenes. Um, a lot of the things I remember, I remember a lot of those games. Um, um, the thing that was funny to me was watching Jordan get riled up. I mean, oh God, it, if you follow 
Jordan, you know how competitive he is. I mean, even before the documentary started, you knew. But the thing that got me, that thing that made me laugh the most was when he would talk about, you know, the thing about a particular game or a particular person that, you know, um, Byron Russell, you know, he came up and he started talking smack to me. And I look at Carmelo and go, who's this guy? And then was it game one? He's like, oh, I'm like this dude. <laughs> so I'm just like, oh, boy, I, I would not want to be on the um, opposing end of Michael Jordan's wrath. No, thank you. Um, I would rather be on his good side. <laughs> I think most people who um, follow have you know watched Jordan play. Uh, watch the documentary. I think you want to be on Jordan's good side, <laughs> no matter what. Um, but he was all. But to me, um, in watching you know uh, clips of the uh, the post game interviews and you know when he met with the press throughout his career, he was always very gracious. You know he you know he kind of had fun with it. I mean, I don't think I think it's very rare that you know Jordan would just look at somebody and go, "What are you talking about? Get out of my face!" It was always he always kind of laughed it off, and he was a good sport about things. So. You know, it's all good. But the thing that was probably the funniest to me was uh, the Kenny Lattimore thing where, you know, he's getting hyped up for a game. Uh, listen to Kenny Lattimore. And he was doing like the Biggie Shorty dance. <laughs> so if, if you you if you know who Biggie Shorty is, you get the joke. But he was doing his little Biggie Shorty dance <laughs> to Kenny Lattimore. And I'm just like, oh, my God, he is listening to Kenny Lattimore getting hyped for a game. That is like the weirdest thing ever. But. He's the greatest for a reason. What can I say? All right. That's it. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.